Frequencies Open. My name is David, and I'm once again joined by my fellow co-hosts, Carrie and hey. Mel. Hi. And today we're going to talk about the balance of terror. I've been looking forward to talking about this episode for a while. Uh, this is one of my favorite episodes that I have gotten to watch so far in this season. Um, but before we get started, Carrie, did you have any thoughts on this episode before we get going? I did, yeah. So, I mean, I've seen this episode several times now before, and it is one of the better episodes, uh, story-wise and um, plot-wise. It just felt like, here's your commonality, and they didn't stray from it. They managed to develop the story, and you knew what was going on, and everybody, I think everybody did a really great job of acting their parts, and I, I actually really, really enjoyed this episode, which uh, is saying a lot since past episodes and the next episode that we're going to watch is going to be questionable, <laughs> to say the least. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, <laughs> uh, Mel, did you have any thoughts on this episode before it got started? Did you know anything about it? Or I didn't know anything about this episode. I'm glad I didn't know anything about this episode. Um, I would say I would concur with everything that Carrie said. This is a really good episode and it was played in a very serious and edge of your seat type of way um and i think everybody did a really good job um playing their parts and and their roles um and i actually look forward to watching it again Ooh, good I mean, this might be the first episode that you've seen that you're like, I will go back and watch this again. Yes. So um, let's get this started. So we open with a bunch of people in a room. Um, you're not really sure initially what they're in the room for. Um, Everyone looks incredibly happy except McCoy, who's leaning against the wall with his arms folded across his chest, and grumpily tells the captain, uh, you have a message from the bridge. So he walks over, uh, finds out that they haven't, can't hear, they haven't heard from many of their listening stations that are on the neutral zone. He doesn't really think anything of it, uh, and then it becomes apparent that it's a wedding. Uh, between, let me see here, Ra, Lieutenant Robert Tomlinson and Lieutenant Angela Martin. Mm -hmm. So apparently Scotty walked is walking her down the aisle. I don't know why. He uh, did. <laughs> I guess he's the close, oh, I would assume he was a friend. <laughs> A really close friend, so, since like nobody's family is on board. 
Or He's maybe a... they drew straws. Or that. <laughs> Possible. <laughs> maybe that's why uh, McCoy was just upset in the corner because he wanted to walk her down the aisle and lost. Fair enough. Yep. <laughs> so they walk down the aisle. Kirk, uh, Yeoman Rand is covering over his shoulder for reasons. She was lighting candles or something. Right? Yeah. I assume uh, she know- was like the maid of honor. <laughs> I guess. Oh, I was thinking she was the wedding coordinator. Ooh, like that planned me. it. Okay, that too. I mean, um, also, please note this is the last appearance of Yeoman Brand. As I mentioned in the previous episode, this is her official last episode. Aww. We will not see her again until we watch the motion picture. Um, yeah. And then after the motion picture, we don't see her again after that because she never reappears. Uh, fair enough. Uh, so he, Kirk starts into his spiel about how ship captains have had the privilege since sailing vessels and blah, blah, blah. A red alert is given and everybody runs away to deal with the problem. Um, and they remain unmarried. They don't initially... What was that? He didn't get a chance to finish the wedding, so these two are still not married. <laughs> they still, still are not married. Not married. Um, so, um, how are you, Mel, how are you feeling after this introduction to this episode? Like, did you know where this was going, or were you, like, I don't know what's happening. I had no idea where where this episode was going. I didn't know anything about it. So um, at this point in the episode, I was just like, okay, well, this is going to be interesting because um, they had set up that um, they hadn't heard from several outposts and they, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe that they had mentioned the neutral zone at that point. It was a brief kind of a side. Um, yeah, I think so. Uh, they were trying to hail Outpost 2, I believe, but they didn't get any response. Uh, and then I think uh, it was either Spock Outpost or... Outpost 3 had gone silent, and the uh-huh. reason the red alert happened was that they received... Outpost 4 was four. getting attacked by something, right. someone. Um, so with hearing the neutral zone, I knew that was a big deal. So my interest was peaked, but I had no idea what was coming. Mm-hmm. And I did feel bad for the bride because uh, she didn't get married. Yeah. And she also didn't get to wear a wedding dress. Like, I know. She only got to wear like that. Her head. Yeah, that bobble. Yeah. That was like her only, I mean, your only indication that she was the one. Getting, she was the bride. Yeah. Yeah. Luckily in the future, like for next gen and some other series, they remedy that. They do. Um, where they kind of go all out for weddings. Um, at this point, uh, the captain's up on the bridge. Uh, 
and they finally get uh, Uhura finally gets through to Outpost 4, which is apparently the only person who survived is Hanson. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't actually think they gave a rank for Hanson. I think he was just handsome. Um, so he's the only survivor. He has no idea. Uh, they do talk about how um, apparently it's underground and yeah, it's all the outposts covered by are, force fields. Yeah, all the outposts are hidden technically in um, an asteroid field. So they're all on asteroids. So they think right. that right. it would be hidden enough if, if that's deep within an asteroid and they can do whatever it is that they're supposed to be doing so close to the neutral zone. Right. So at this point as well, just before that, um, this drove me mad both times I've seen this episode is hmm. Kirk asks for a layout on the screen of where all the bases are and then where they are in relation. Excuse me. And Spock mm -hmm. goes, tells everybody, this is what's happening, you know, bar our moving dot. Their moving dot wasn't moving. <laughs> there, there was a blinky light, which, okay, so when I saw the thing, it the did map. Not move. <laughs> no, nothing moved really. When I saw the map, you see like six or seven outposts, and then the line mm. where it says neutral zone, and then Romulus and Remus. 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 It's supposed to be Remus. Um, and then, like, out of the corner of my eye, I see a blinking dot. And I assume that was supposed to be the Enterprise. And in correlation to where they were going toward the neutral zone. My point was, they specifically said it was moving. And I call bullshit because that dot was just sitting there. <laughs> Te technically, technically, the blinking was movement. I hate you so much. <laughs> she is correct, sir. So you can't really be mad because they didn't technically lie to you. You just projected onto the screen what you wanted. Uh, yeah. Uh, a blinky light is not, no. <laughs> Um, no, no. Good try, though. Um, anyway, uh, as they're talking to Hanson, um, they are getting closer. Um, so the con is manned by Sulu is driving and Lieutenant Stiles is his Styles. navigator. Mm -hmm. Um... I'm only mentioning Trouble. this for information later. Uh, as they're getting closer, the enemy ship reappears, but they're too far away to do anything about it. Uh, there's a blinding light, and the outpost is gone. Mm -hmm. uh, the other criticism I have of this sequence is a criticism I've had throughout the series. The lighting on the bridge of the actors sucks. Yeah. Like, 
almost everyone's top of their head and below the chin, it's always dark. They're just like, we just want to see the eyes, the mouth, and the nose. Everything else doesn't matter. And I'm just like, that's such a stupid, just not, it just doesn't work for me. Mm-hmm. So watching all the officers walking in and out of weird shadows all the time, it's just like, it's like, who lit this bridge? Like, why would you let it out of space dock like this? Don't go over there. It's the dark corner. <laughs> <laughs> we practice dark sciences over there. Right. <laughs> um, it is intimated at this point as well that it is Romulan, who they haven't seen in a hundred years. Correct, sir. And this is when I got excited. I mean, <laughs> like, the anticipation became palpable for me. Because, um, um, yeah. Ooh. <laughs> well, I mean, it is, it's the first appearance of the Romulans ever. So it's a really cool experience for me as well. Mm-hmm. Um, especially seeing what they look like later, because I'm so excited that they stopped looking like that. Um, yep. <laughs> But um, anyway, so Carrie, did you have any thoughts at this point? Um, yeah, so no one, uh, so apparently a hun- over a hundred years ago, there was some kind of war between the Federation and the Romulans, but no one had actually seen what a Romulan looked like because back then they didn't have like the technology and view anybody on like the view screens and stuff so nobody had any idea what they looked like and now they're they're on its tail um they uh mr styles i think he's probably a lieutenant um he everyone else is everyone else is right i'm making him one he he is your um he's he to me is like the antagonist of this whole episode because he has a personal bias against romulans because ancestors and and family history so like it's been a century since the war and apparently a bunch of his family members were in it and some of them were probably killed and some of them obviously lived long enough to tell the story of what happened to everybody, which eventually, of course, got to him. And then by then, like, in his head, he's got the prejudice, like, all Romulans are bad. I hate them kind of thing. So he, to me, jumps the gun a lot in this episode. And he um, countermands the, the captain's orders. And he yells at the captain a lot about things. And I'm like, dude. You are a lieutenant. You're driving the ship. Please trust your captain to figure out the situation. Um, and I know Kirk says, like, you have to, you know, shelf your bias and focus on what's happening right now. So um, that's my interpretation of Mr. Styles. 
I do want to get out of the way right now that this is one of the very few episodes from the original series that straight out deals with uh, prejudice and, mm -hmm. uh, for lack of a better term, almost racism. Um, Kirk mentions bigotry. Like, like it, he, it, he, it, this one is one of the few episodes that actually goes there. Correct. And I was. I was really surprised when Kirk said to him, leave your bigotry in your quarters. Yeah. Like that was surprising to me um, yeah. that they were breaching that. Um, I think which just lent more to the story that was already developing. The fact that this was um, something that they were going to clearly run with the rest of the episode no matter what else happened um they, this style was and his views were going to be a prominent part of that episode right yeah totally agree yeah kirk says leave any bigotry in your quarters mr styles it has no place on the bridge which i agree yeah. I totally and, agree. And later he somebody runs a scan and he's like, have Mr. Spock look at it. And Kirk's like, what was that? He goes, yeah. Oh, I think I'm sure you we're complimenting Mr. Spock on his ability to. And Spock being a Vulcan, like he it never really goes anywhere because it's just not in their nature to really respond to it. Um, I just mm -hmm. thought it was very interesting, um, especially because uh, later on it's revealed in a different episode by Uhura that in this time period, like racial prejudice and things of that nature, that just isn't a thing anymore. Like, like they talk about it, because I, I know they've talked about it in like Next Gen and Deep Space Nine, like it's just not something on earth that's a thing and mm -hmm. it hasn't been for hundreds of years and it's like it's one of the things that always drew me to star trek is like the idea that we'll get there eventually yeah there's hope <laughs> in the future i'm i'm hoping mm -hmm. like we can we can do it um but yeah. to see it being tackled in this time period was a big deal in the 60s yeah uh, huge deal yes um, so I give them a little more credit for this and yeah they went further in later series in addressing it but that in that time period that was more acceptable in this one it was still just like whoa yeah um, but mm -hmm. it's amazing that that episode even happened in the way that it did and got aired because I'm sure he got a lot of crap for it yeah right um well it's just like later on in the series when uh shatner and michelle nichols had kiss oh yeah it was the That's first big deal it was the first and i believe it was the first inter it was interracial the, yes. kiss on tv yes and it was a huge deal and um william shatner to his credit didn't he i apparently i believe i read somewhere he was just like he didn't really think anything of it because he's just like 
He didn't. No, he's like, whatever. So side story, um, over in Seattle, there's, um, a Star Trek exhibit and I went to it and on the wall, there was like a quote from William Shatner about that episode. And I guess originally someone else was supposed to kiss Uhura and he's like, Oh no, 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 no. If anybody's going to kiss Uhura, it's going to be Captain Kirk. So I was like, of course it's going to be Captain Kirk. <laughs> but I guess it, like it, in his own way, though, is him validating um, the whole situation. And he's like, I don't care about color or anything like that. She's an awesome woman. She's beautiful. She's talented. We're professionals. We're going we're gonna to do this kissing scene. Um, yeah. So and cool. I haven't gotten to kiss her yet, but I've kissed everyone else in the universe, so why can't I kiss her? <laughs> that right I there. Got, I got to kiss the green woman and that girl over there, and yeah, I may or may not be sleeping with McCoy on the off time, but you know. <laughs> how, how is it that out of all the women on this ship, when I'm with the most, I haven't kissed her yet? I must kiss her. Right. I'm not taking anything away from the moment because it's oh, no. really a really significant moment. Very. And, it, and it, I mean, I'm sure there are tons of actors, especially in that time period, that wouldn't have done it. Mm -hmm. So the fact that he was just like, no, Kirk's going to do it. The, so even if he's got like prejudices and things like that, the fact he still was willing to do it is still a major thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. To me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But anyway, back to this this awesomeness. So, <laughs> um, at this point, the ship is invisible. You know, everyone wants an invisible ship, I suppose. Uh, so, um, as they're talking about what the ship is capable of doing um they receive a coded message from the intruder uh which apparently they're able to extrapolate into a picture of what their cockpit looks like uh i think yeah they yeah uhura gets the message but she's like it's garbled sir it's or it's um coded and then i think spock they they know that they're following the Romulans, because they do, after Outpost 4 gets um, disintegrated, uh, there is a brief moment on the view screen where the Romulan ship decloaks, you see it, and then it recloaks. So, and now they apparently have the capability to track it when it's cloaked. And then they somehow, I guess, get into their communications system or some kind of system where they like hack in and then they can turn on their viewer and see who's inside the ship. So that being said, um, a very hazy picture starts to emerge and we see Romulans for the first time. Mel, as this is the first time that the Romulans have showed up, what is your initial impressions of what the Romulans look like at this point? 
if I take it out of my, I know who that Romulan is uh-huh. and is going to be eventually out of my mind, mm-hmm. because that was actually my initial reaction was, wait a minute, that's uh, confusion. Um, <laughs> but if I take all of that out and just look at it with fresh eyes for the first time, um, is that a Vulcan? <laughs> right? But like, oh, what is, huh? What did you think of the helmets of the other? Of the oh, other I, w- I was I was gonna wait to bring to bring that up, <laughs> um, because I didn't actually focus on those that first shot, but later I did, and I thought to my notes, glorious. <laughs> they are glorious. It's like the costume department went to the farmer's market and got a bunch of melons, cut them in half, made rectangular splits or um, not rectangular, horizontal, not horizontal. Anyway, they made slits in them and then they put them on all the actors' heads. And and oh, spray painted them gold. Oh, yes. Put on actors' heads and said, uh, "Good luck with this. Have have a good time." And um, <laughs> I'm I'm happy they did that because that was amazing. And um, I credit I credit the costume designers once again. I mean, I, mean, I didn't think they could do better than last week's uh, bath mat, but they <laughs> outdid themselves this time. They really did. Carrie, do you have anything additional to add from this initial view of the Romulans? Uh, When I saw it for the very first time, I had a similar reaction. I was like, oh, they look exactly like Vulcans. Okay. But then again, I had to remember that makeup department probably wasn't that great at the time with prosthetics and things so i gave that a pass um but um as as many people that have seen this episode know the the romulan commander is played by mark leonard who later plays spock's dad and we all love spock's dad well i hope we all love spock's dad um so i i mean like i'm just i knew that I knew that going in when I saw that, but I I think he's just, he's such a great actor as Romulan or Vulcan. Oh, he's really good. I, I liked his portrayal. Um, oh yeah. And then um, the shock and awe on everyone's face on the Enterprise when he actually turns around to actually face the view screen and everybody's like, wait a second. What the hell? <laughs> and then they, they all they, all of them turn to Spock and they're like, explain this shit. <laughs> and he couldn't. Spock couldn't because I nope. guess that was the first time he saw a Romulan. So he's like, well, now I have to figure this out logically. 
And that was confusing for me because, I mean, knowing other parts of the Star Wars, Star, oh, oh, my oh. bad, Star Trek. <laughs> I'm going to get hate for that. <laughs> the star. <laughs> it's because I was going to say universe and then I got all flustered. The Star Trek universe, we know that in the in the in the past, the Romulans and the Vulcans stem from the same tree and just split off. And right. so my question when Spock looked just as confused as everybody else was. Well, doesn't Spock know the Vulcan histories? Because um, he knew the Vulcan history, he would. I can understand everybody else on the bridge not knowing, but if he knew the history and went to school on Vulcan and and all of this, he should know that in the past, the Romulans and the Vulcans did come from the same place and split off and went in very different directions i could be i i can understand if he was surprised that evolutionary wise they hadn't changed in the last pretty much but he shouldn't have been as confused as he seemed to be in my opinion mm -hmm. but i can also understand that they hadn't gotten to that decision yet yeah in that's the a writing. good point yeah that's a very good point actually um I would assume as well that he would have learned that in school, but also in the back of my head, I was like, okay, he's half human too. So did he get all the same privileges in school of learning about everything? That's true. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. So at this point, um, Styles makes one of multiple comments to Kirk, um, also intimating that uh, there could be a Romulan spy on board. Um, and Sulu, Sulu actually concurred. Yeah. Which is not a, it's not a bad call, just because, like, because Sulu is not attacking Spock for being the spy. Sulu no. is more just like, it's a possibility. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. So they maintain readiness. Um, while maintaining readiness, we go to one of the many phaser stations where uh, our lovely married couple from earlier, Lieutenant Tomlinson and Martine, have a very cute moment about uh, how, almost getting oh, married. Well, I guess we're not. And she yeah. goes, I'm not letting you off my hook yet, mister, which I thought was very funny. Um, he, he then, oh, but at least temporarily, he's still her commanding officer. That's a little weird, just from a, uh -huh. just, like, yeah. Did you see the um, look on her face when he fed her that line, though? Yeah, yep. she's just like, He's like, oh, teach. you're going to get it when we get married. Yeah. <laughs> She gave him the look that any woman would give if they were set, if that was said to them. Like, mm -hmm. um, this I'm is not gonna, how this is going to work. Like, oh, is that what you think, honey? Okay. I'm going to cut you is what's going to happen. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, Can I just say that this, their storyline and it running through the entirety of the episode 
was one of my favorite parts of it. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. They didn't they didn't just use their storyline at the beginning as the setup to the episode and then leave them. Right. They actually continued it throughout the whole episode and we kept going back then. And I actually really um it, uh, enjoyed and appreciated that the writers did that. They didn't lose because they could have just been like, you know, whatever, we don't know these people. But mm-hmm they didn't, they allowed us to continue with the connection um, and see their story play out. And that's fair. I mean, it's so often they'll introduce little stories like this and they don't pay them off or really mm-hmm. you know, care about them later. Uh, but they made sure that this was part of the overarching narrative of this story. It's just a different part of it. like. Well, I think the over thing for this was dealing with prejudice and things mm-hmm. like that. I think this was also like, this story was like, you can do everything you can do, but in this sort of situation, people have signed up for, it is dangerous and there isn't always a happily ever after, mm-hmm. but that's not really anyone's fault. but I also think it was kind of the sweet with it was kind of the sugar on top of the medicine um because the whole episode whether you take the chess game that becomes between um the Romulan commander and Kirk or you take Styles and his his bigotry those are both really heavy aspects and, and hard pills to swallow if you're not ready for it. And then you have this couple that's getting ready to get married and they're really sweet to each other. And yes, they're in, dan- in danger, but every time we push back to them, it's like, well, of course, you know, we're, we're all this bitterness in the background, but of course they're going to have their happy ending. Well, I mean, that's what you're hoping for. That's the hope pushing you throughout the, the narrative. And um, to me, it was just, the, the sprinkles of sugar on top of the medicine that we were getting throughout the rest of the episode. And that was nice. I can go with that. Like, I yeah. like that. Um, after that, there is a senior officers meeting. Uh, something that I've noticed with senior officers meeting, apparently Uhura is not invited uh, because she's never in them. Uh, or if she is in them, it's very rare. Mm-hmm. Um, so everyone, including Lieutenant Stiles, who we've just met, go into the big meeting room. Uh, they've gotten some fragments from the outpost. Uh, Spock talks about this metal that's the hardest substance in the universe, and he just crumbles it in his hand. Astrodinium, uh, as I think is what he calls it. I'm pretty sure we never hear of this material again. I don't think we do. They're like, so, well, it's flawed. We're not using it. <laughs> right. Um, they mentioned that the reason that it seems to be this way was that it had a, it was subjected to a massive plasma pulse. From, from the Romulan ship, yeah. From the Romulan ship. Uh, Styles says the Enterprise should attack them before they reach the neutral zone. Uh, everyone looks at Spock, and Spock goes, yeah, that's totally what we should do. And Kirk's like, oh, right. Was not expecting that. 
but Spock yeah. explains it a little bit differently because he says, you know, Vulcans went through their dark periods that even mm -hmm. by human standards would be considered over the top and very grotesque. Um, and if the Romulans are still part of that old, then they're going to take anything as a perceived weakness, and then you can't do that. Um, so, yes. So that comment takes me back to why doesn't Spock know the history? Because why would he use a comparative between Vulcans and Romulans to explain the, the nature of Vulcan, of Romulan thinking? My it was very only, confusing this episode. <laughs> my in, only in that guess respect. is the split happened so long ago, it might not be taught anymore. Hmm. That that's probably true. Because think of how human human history now is taught. There's all sorts of stuff that people don't talk about, but it doesn't make it less true, if yeah. that makes sense. So yes. my that's that's where I went was that it's just something that isn't taught anymore. Okay. Because it just happened so long ago that it's just like, oh, it's in books, so you could go find it if you wanted to, but it's not something they're just going to tell you. Right. Okay. Um, at this point, we get put back inside the uh, Romulan ship. Uh, I have to thank the Star Trek Compendium book by Alan Asherman, which is a huge reference point that we use on this podcast. Uh, the inside of the ship reminds me of a submarine. Okay, I could see that. Um, mm -hmm. so can also, I a lot of this reminds me of like World War II submarine movies. Yeah, okay. Like the enemy below and stuff like that because they've even got that weird periscope type thing in there, which is, I, I was thinking this anyway, and then when I read the compendium, that really got hit home because that's kind of what they like that wasn't really what they were going for but that's what they ended up with mm -hmm. um the director pointed out later that he didn't really notice the similarities until much later and he's just like yeah they're really in the same same sort of vein um so the commander of i believe his name is decius yeah it's very um Greek. Uh, and he's in the Greek and Roman analogies don't end there. Yep. Uh, he talks to the centurion who is played uh, by John Warburton. Who literally has no other name except centurion this right. entire episode. Right. Mm -hmm. It's very obvious that those two have known each other forever and are friends, but he's not important enough for the story to be called anything except centurion fine um the commander doesn't have a name either he's just listed as romulan commander in the cast list oh that's true <laughs> so yeah they they didn't give them names um it's very obvious though that they're battle road worry soldiers and they just want to go home yeah mm -hmm. 
like and bring honor to the empire right but as we get to know the commander we realize that he's come to the realization that war is not an answer Mm -hmm. it's something that happens but it's not a good thing right so because at this point they've been dealing blows with each other um back and forth and the Romulan ship is pretty damaged and we find out that they're pretty low on fuel and at that point I think it's safe to say that he's like look there's no chance of doing what the rest of the thing that we need to do because we, we won't be able to get home and he wants to go home yeah yeah and I mean I, I do think that this episode also really is a great teaching tool for war is bad. Yeah. Yes. Um, anyway, so a game of cat and mouse ensues where the Enterprise is slowly following them around. Um, the Romulan ship heads into a comet to obscure a signal and Kirk's like, oh, we'll reach the other side and we'll cut them off and we will paste them out of the sky. Fair enough. Um, however, because the Romulan commander is very smart, mm-hmm. uh, he realizes what's going on and doubles back. Uh, Kirk fires blindly. It doesn't really work. Um, you see them do their rocking motion and some debris falls on their head. Uh, Romulans and fire their weapon, the big weapon that destroyed many things. At this point, out of nowhere, Yeoman Rand appears on the t- <laughs> Oh, Captain, do you want me to finish the logs? <laughs> yeah, should I keep? And he goes, Yeoman. What are you doing here? Of course here? you should. And as you watch as this plasma torpedo comes at them, he holds her. The unprofessionalism is just off the charts where I'm just like, what is happening? And they're just like, they don't have phasers because they burned them out and Spock's trying to fix them. And I'm just like, what is happening right now? The plasma thing goes off. It damages the ship a little, but not nearly as much as they thought, which leads them to deduce that the missile has a limited range. Sure. (laughs) Mel, for this sequence, what were you thinking? I actually went back and watched the sequence twice from Yeoman Rand coming onto the bridge to, them being hit with the weapon Um, because I had to real I had to check and see if I was really seeing and understanding what was on my TV and it's not a bad thing I'm actually gonna take it in a different direction so to me when she comes on when Rand comes on and says captain you want me to finish the logs 
the way he says yeoman to me was not in an annoyed I'm too busy. It was in a we're in danger and this is someone I care about and possibly love. It was more of a loving like yeoman. Like I like you're here. Oh my God, we're in this situation and you're in part of the danger zone and I can't kind of like I can't believe we're in this situation. And then it goes on to them holding, like her coming up, he he kind of walks up to closer to the, to the screen and she comes up behind him. And you can tell when she comes up behind him before she wraps her arms around him, that she's already touching him. And then she wraps her arms around him and then he turns and wraps his arms around her. And it, to me, it felt very much like this is a couple who knows that at this moment they could die and they're holding on to each other. And so for me, it was a, it was a, a very loving moment and a very skeptical relationship <laughs> as far as has been already seen and shown in the past. Like their relationship is probably not healthy, but still there's, um, there's affection there. Um, so I, I watched it twice just to, to recognize that that's actually what I was seeing. And that was the conclusion I came, I came up with. Um, but, um, I have to give Nichelle Nichols some credit because when that blast hit them and everybody kind of like do, do, do and tumble to the floor, she did some kind of interpretive dance thing across the top of the screen from her chair to the wall. And it was like, she was like, everybody else is going to fall to the floor. I am in red. This is my moment to shine. Everyone will watch me. And it was fantastic. Um, yeah, that's, that's how I felt about that sequence. <laughs> That, that's what I mainly noticed during that one, too. It's like, oh, look. Everybody's just like, kind of like, whoa, whoa, oh, no. And she's just like, ah! Yep. <laughs> like, yep. So one thing on the Rand Kirk situation. Yes. I, my reaction is more based off of seeing multiple other relationships with couples on ships where the relationships are much healthier than this one. And when they're in mortal danger, they are not holding each other close because they're like, that was my only thing is I'm just like, I get it. Like, I totally understand what you're saying, Mel, on this, but I'm just like, you're also the captain of the ship. And the other way that that could be interpreted by everybody else on board is at that point you've given up and it's over <laughs> well nobody said kirk was a good captain oh there are plenty of people who say kirk's a good captain <laughs> i am not one of them i think he's not i think he's pretty terrible professionalism but, isn't high on his uh no list not high on I the list happy. 
I half expected him just to turn around and just be like, we've got 30 seconds. We can do it right now. (laughs) Ew. (laughs) But Spock is watching. But we wouldn't have been, we wouldn't have been surprised if he had done that. We would have been like, of course he did that. That's what he does. Right. At Um, least sneak in like a little kiss or something. Something. They have 30 seconds. They don't have time for the makeout or the foreplay. (laughs) It's just straight to. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) That's really saying something about uh, Kirk's prowess. (laughs) It's, it's, It's. it's it's almost like a boxing match where there just needs to be a now for the main events. <laughs> oh god, I can't. Uh, oh lord. Anyway. Oh, okay, so yeah, repairs so need this, to be made. <laughs> right, the ship is kind of broken. Uh, Kirk, after realizing they're not going to die, lets Rand go. She mysteriously vanishes and never comes back this episode? No, she does. Does she? No, she does. She does. Yes. Mm-hmm. Oh, I forgot about that. So I think when the ship is all silent and being repaired, um, oh. Kirk goes back down mm-hmm. to his quarters. And then for she a lay pop- down. For a lay down, because he's like, whoo, God, okay, this fucking Romulan situation <laughs> has got me. Okay. That scene, now that you've reminded me, is the other sequence where I'm just like, this is where it's going to happen. She's going to mount him, and this is going to be a very different episode. This week on a very special Star Trek episode, sex education. (laughs) Buckle up, kids. This is how babies are made in space. (laughs) No, I... This is how babies are made in space. Lord. <laughs> Lord. What got me about this uh this that scene was and I know we skipped, skipped ahead, but it was um she didn't knock. I mean I know we've talked in the past about the lack of security on the ship. She didn't knock, she didn't ring a doorbell. She didn't announce herself. She walked in and said, Captain, can I get you some coffee? Now, I realize that we've established that that is her main function, coffee and sandwiches. But she did not come into the captain's quarters. Um, And then after she came into the quarters, what what, um, stopped them from, what stopped him, what stopped them from making babies in space was, McCoy then walked in without oh, announcing yeah. himself. Yep. Can I or just say as well Bell. that the look on Rand's face is she is looking at Kirk like he is the last bottle of water in a desert. Oh, God. <laughs> She's just like, I have to have it. And it's just like, can we not? Like, this is just not like. Not right now. We're in the middle of a war. I I don't think Kirk minds because Kirk looked at her like she was the best sandwich in the world and he wanted some. (laughs) But then McCoy's, I don't understand how sex would ever happen on the ship when they can't lock the door. Right? Like, oh, by the way, I stopped by to grab something. (laughs) Right. I have expected that to happen. Like, okay, who else wants to come in? 
Jeez. It's right. fucking McCoy's kink. They like just walk into various. <laughs> I think it's Spock. Here's the thing. Spock is the perfect it birth control. Right. I just think, and this is you. Don't, you're never going to change my mind on this. I think that McCoy is drunk, twenty four seven. I don't even think he meant to go into Kirk's quarters. I mean, he just happened to stumble in on his way to somewhere else because he's drunk. And of course, because nothing can happen with him there, Rand scurries off and leaves. And then he pretends to have some kind of meaningful conversation with Kirk, even though he's three sheets to the wind, in my humble opinion. Well, it makes sense. We do see him with drinking a lot in the in the series so that makes sense <laughs> and head in melanie's head cannon he's drunk all the time makes sense to me anyway as we're moving on with this episode the romulans uh they managed to get hit a few times so they're and they also realize they don't have enough energy to get home at this point um also the centurion has died so yes. the cap so the captain, the commander in all this brilliance has them jettison um, debris, debris and his body. And a body. Spock, because he's smarter than everyone else, realizes that it's not enough to be a ship exploding. Um so the Enterprise just kind of fires blindly at the Romulans some more. Um so at this point, they feel like they're about to be beaten. So they jettison more debris and a nuclear weapon. <laughs> Please note, I realize that this was the 60s and the ultimate weapon in the entire world was nuclear deterrent. Mm -hmm. And it still is now, but it's very weird that a hugely advanced space civilization, this, their ultimate weapon is a nuclear weapon. Yeah. Um, they realize that there's a metal case. Kirk fires point blank. There's a huge explosion. Uh, everything cascades over the ship. More uh, of that. More of this. <laughs> more of that. More of the falling all over the place. Uh, the ship comes through it better than I expected, considering that everything seems to break on it at the least provocation. So I felt that a nuclear weapon at point blank range would have just melted the ship from existence. Uh, I'm wrong. Um, however, uh, McCoy does report that like 28 people have died. So no. we do have a death count. No, no, no. No? Nope. In, nope. In the end, only one person dies. Didn't he say that there was were casualties? Confusing. That was because he said there were no he said casualties yeah, yeah but that can still mean in, just injuries not like okay. actual like death all right then okay. we'll go with on-screen deaths for the death count this time since the, i'm not mm -hmm. really sure um so centurion is dead and his body was jettisoned out so that's one that's one death, death count um <laughs> So we're doing good in this episode. We've only got one. Mm -hmm. um, so at this at point, this... is it um, doesn't uh, Styles have to go down to the weapons um, 
room to help yes. out. And Uhura gets to man the con. Yes. Yep. Yeah. So Uhura is now the navigator and Sulu is flying. Mm-hmm. Uh, Uhura is the most versatile, best member of the crew that has existed. If she yes, wasn't she there, I'm fairly certain the ship would have exploded long ago. Um, yep. Tomlinson is the only other person in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, Spock comes in. Styles takes another dig about how they're going to do it without him because they don't need him. Uh, mm-hmm. As soon as he leaves, they notice this pink fog on the wall. Yeah. Uh, Phaser coolant seal is apparently broken because that's what it says apparently. on the wall. Phaser coolant. You then cut to Kirk going fire and nothing happens. Mm-hmm. Uh, he starts yelling fire, fire, but he's yelling it across the entire ship so Spock in a hallway can hear him. <laughs> so Spock turns around and runs down into the thing. Uh, Tomlinson and Styles are down. Uh, we got a very over-exaggerated Styles slowly slinking to the floor. Uh, Spock runs in and pushes a button and flips a switch and the phasers fire. We then cut to the bridge where Kirk, not knowing anything except the phasers finally worked, pulverizing this Romulan ship. He hails the Romulans, and they respond. Apparently, much like with the outpost, the only person still alive on the Romulan ship is the Romulan commander. <laughs> he gives probably the best speech I've, I've heard since this episode, since this series has started, mm-hmm. where he comments that he and Kirk are very similar people, because we've seen this throughout the episode. Uh, they've matched each other throughout, and he mentions that in another time and a place, they probably would have been friends. Kirk says, let me beam you over along with all your other survivors, and he says, that's not our way. And he then detonates the nuclear devices they have on board, which are entirely there for self-destruct reasons. Um, Spock then shows up on the bridge with Styles, who he saved his life. At this point, Kirk finds out that they have another fatality, and it's Tomlinson did not make mm-hmm. it. Uh, they were uh, in a sick bay, actually. Okay. Yeah. Um, Martine is in the chapel already. She knows. Uh, Kirk. Kirk yeah. Goes from sick bay to the chapel where she's grieving. Um, he doesn't really say anything, um, but he hugs her mm-hmm. as in a comforting gesture. I didn't really have a problem with that under the situation that they were in. Um, also, in this, just before that. Uh, Styles is apologizing to Spock for all the terrible things he thought about him, and Spock is like, "I saved a very great officer, and it's the le- and it's the only thing that I could do," which 
great. Everyone should think that way. I, I hope someday we can get there. Very um, Vul Vulcan responsive, Spock. Yeah. At this point, uh, uh, at this point, then they, I, I don't remember, did they leave to go get repairs? Did they just take off whatever their next mission was? No, the uh, last the last scene was of just Kirk and um, Angela. That's right. They um, just go face to black with them in the chapel. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. And then you just get that sense of loss from her and Kirk trying to make sense of like I, the whole situation. And I think she actually leaves. She does. I think she leaves the chapel, and it's just Kirk there mm -hmm. right seemingly thinking about yeah what just happened and and the last probably 12 to 24 hours like he he's he he started he's ending where he started and their world is vastly different now mm -hmm. right um a couple of behind the scenes stuff before we talk about our thoughts and experiences with this episode. Um, the Romulan warship was designed by an artist named Wa Sheng. This person never received on-screen credit for his work on Star Trek. Uh, he does provide, I'm not sure if it's a he or, or, or her, she. I'm not okay. sure. Uh, but this person does later on do some other stuff for Star Trek. Um, but no additional shots of the Romulan warship that was in this episode were ever taken. So this particular warship only ever shows up in one more episode, The Deadly Years. Mm -hmm. And all the footage in that of this ship was actually footage from this episode. Wow. Um, and then after that, they were, uh, they switched over to their now, uh, to the Warbird design. Ah. Oh. Now, they originally were just in Klingon Warbirds, and then as time has progressed, they've redeveloped the Romulan Warbird to look its own Certain special way. way. The chapel they were getting married in, that set, is actually just the transporter room. Redressed. Without the transport. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, that's reusing what you already got without having to spend money on building other sets which is probably right. what their issue was which is very common for this series so yeah. they do a lot of that mm -hmm. um but anyway so that's the behind the scenes information that i have this week we're gonna start with carrie what are your overarching thoughts on this um and your rating so i will i'll start with my rating i would actually give this an eight because this is, in my opinion, one of the better written episodes and character development and, and the two stories that intertwine, uh, they were melded so well together and it all made so much sense than previous episodes. So kudos to the writers. And it, in, and there's like so many layers to this episode uh, with the um, Mr. Styles being so bigoted against Spock and then 
and the Romulans and think, and he's probably thinking like all these crazy scenarios in his head and just projecting it on Spock. And you get that sense throughout the entire episode. And um, I believe he played that very well. And Spock, of course, played his, his part in that very well. And um, just seeing how it all ended and Spock saving Styles and Styles finally realizing that I've been a huge jerk. But um, apologizing, of course, makes Styles feel better, but you're apologizing to a Vulcan is like apologizing to a brick wall, really. It's like he's, he's hearing you, but logically you don't need to say anything because it really doesn't matter to Spock. And uh, that, that was portrayed pretty well too. It's just from like a human standpoint to finally realize that all your hate and your anger that you're projecting at a certain person just for being or looking a certain way didn't matter. And like, why did you do it? And this episode really wrapped that all up in a bow and we got a nice little gift out of it. So yeah, that's my final thoughts. Mel? I really, really liked this episode. Um, before I give my, my, my overall thoughts, there's something that we skipped that I wanted to touch on. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, I believe it was after the senior officers meeting, Spock went on comms to the whole ship to give a background of what the neutral zone was or is mm-hmm. um and the history which i really appreciated i felt like i i didn't of course i've seen this before so i didn't know that history I knew of the origins of the neutral zone and why it was there but for me it was such a good nugget of history but also you could see that this was one of those things that Roddenberry had thought out. It was part of his canon for this show and this this universe that he had created. And it wasn't skipped or simplified or left, you know, to the side. It was like, no, we have a complex history in this universe and we're going to be giving it to you little by little but for now here's this thing this neutral zone and we're not going to just say neutral zone and not explain to you what it is here's the full explanation of it and i really really like that both from someone who kind of knew what the neutral zone is but also being able to appreciate it as somebody who was going in completely not knowing like if i was watching it in the 60s and saying now if somebody came up to me and was like well what's a neutral zone i could tell them what it is that was great right i really appreciated that um but for my overall 
I really enjoyed this episode. I really enjoyed the writing of this episode, and I really, really enjoyed the acting of this episode. This was the first time, I'm going to say the first time in history, that I have rolled my eyes while watching William Shatner. He tends to make me, he, he, his, because of his acting style, I tend to, at some point when I'm watching him, have to roll my eyes. I was so engaged and I thought he made so many really good choices that I, um, I just enjoyed his performance. And I think it had a lot to do with, and now I can't think of his name, the commander. Mark Leonard. What's his name? Thank you, Mark Leonard. Um, his acting is so superb that I, I, it felt like Shatner had to step up to be on the same place that he was because he was giving it his all. Um, Mark Leonard was there. He came, he did not come to play around. He came to act his butt off and that's what he did. And Shatner had no choice but to rise to that level because at the end, they tell you they're e they were equally matched in their thought processes and how they're commanding their ships. Um, and they basically, to me, played a game of chess. And even though the Romulan ship was destroyed at the end, I don't really think either one of them won. I think at the end of the episode, every person lost. The Romulans lost because they all died. The And the crew of the Enterprise lost because they encountered something that I think for the first time in the episode, and, and please correct me if I'm wrong, they were really in a mortal danger that mm -hmm. they weren't sure they were gonna get out of. And that you can't help but be changed by that. Um, mm -hmm. And you know, everybody had an individual story and even though Styles turned his thought process around and that was indeed a win, ultimately everybody lost. And um, the fact that they told that story with, like Carrie said, so many layers and so many different mixes of things and, and talking to the world who was watching it in a way that was kind of in your face, but also very subtle. None of these things, war or prejudice, bigotry or, um, needlessly going into something just to destroy none of that is going everybody loses at the end of the day N nothing comes of it um, right. but loss and death and destruction and the fact that they told that story and not only they told that story but they were able to wrap it up in mm -hmm. that amount of time and do such a good job that was like really incredible and i really really enjoyed it i don't think i could talk i could say much more um about about that um, so let me see anything on my notes no i just i really really i really want to know where checkoff is i mean that would be great like is he in a he, closet somewhere he, <laughs> he didn't come in until season two Oh, yeah. okay. Well, so, thank you. Yeah, he's not um, coming for a while. All right. Well, I, I retract my statement then. 
but yeah, no, I really enjoyed this. I gave it a nine. Um, like I said earlier, I look forward to going back and rewatching it just so I could see the things that I missed because I'm sure I missed a lot. Um, but yeah, yeah, it was excellent. It was excellent. We we did miss one one other thing when they were all in sick bay. Yeoman Rand does come in again. At, was she in sick bay? at one point um, during the battle, Uhura was supposed to call Starfleet to get um, the okay or something about what's going on. It's like, what do we do? Oh yeah, to go in. Yeah, do we? Because, like you were saying, and you're and you're saying they um, there was a point where they had to decide to stay on their side of the neutral zone or go into Romulan space. And if they were going to go into Romulan space, then they would not, I, I, I assume, would not have the support of Starfleet. And if anything happened to them, it's all their fault. So there was that. And um, when Yeoman Rand comes in at like the very end when they're in sickbay, she finally gets a message back from Starfleet. And Starfleet says, um, we fully support in whatever decision you're going to make. And all the decision had been made already. And then, like, that's the last time you see Yeoman Rand. So, as far as my thoughts, I can't really say anything more than what Carrie and Mel have already told you. Um, I agree with everything that they said. Um, some of this... Um, Mark Leonard's performance is very, very good. Um, you sympathize with him and you understand where he's coming from, that it's not from a, it's not from what so often is, oh, we hate them, so we're going to kill them. It's like, I'm doing this because I, it's my duty to do it, not because I want to really do it. Um, Shanner is fine. Uh, Styles plays the role of the bigot and very, very well. Um, it's very interesting when he like when he's apologizing to um, Spock at the end because I mean when you run into bigotry now, I would guess that that would be the ultimate goal is for people to understand what what they're doing and how harmful it can be. Um, so, I mean, I thought that was a very, very interesting moment and it hit for me. Um, I'm going to go with uh, Mel on this. I'm going to give it a nine as well. Um, I also want to give a shout out to the writer of this episode. It was his name was Paul Schneider. Um, so I mean, well done, Paul. You executed a very well done episode. Um, there's not much more I can really say about it. It's just really, really good. And of what we've seen so far, it's probably the best. So far, yeah. Um, well, that'll do it for this episode. Next time, we have a very special episode for you. We will be covering the episode called Sure Leave. No! <laughs> I know everyone's excited. <laughs>
Um, it's a very different story from this, but you know, it's the next one on the list. So join us next time when we go and review shore leave. Until then, keep your hailing frequencies open and have a great day.